and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Scott Corelli, and today we're talking about Minute 12, which begins with Ripley telling them that the aliens exist and ends with Ripley asking Van Leeuwen what he means. And we have uh, Lindsay Romaine back again today. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for coming back. Hi, thank you for having me. All right, so we're still in the midst of the inquest here, and uh, things have gotten even worse for Ripley, right? I mean, nothing, nothing's going her way in this inquest at all. Um, I wanted to point out, you know, a little bit of framing here. Uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that the alien, the Nostromo crew, is in the background there behind Ripley as she's talking. Sometimes she's looking at it. Sometimes it's behind her. And in this particular, in this particular case, she's really making her case again. Like she's one last ditch effort at, I'm telling you, this, this is the case. These aliens do exist. And Dallas is who is behind her. Now, do we think that this is significant, intentional? I mean, it's hard to say it's not. You would hope that James Cameron intentionally, uh, anything that's in the, in the frame is intentional. But do you think that there's any meaning behind this beyond the fact that he's just behind her? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't think, sorry. <laughs> I don't think it's, <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to think of something. <laughs> Sorry, maybe it shouldn't have been a question. Maybe I should have just said what I thought. <laughs> Sometimes I like to start the episode with a question to the other people on the show mm-hmm. just to get the ball rolling. Right. Maybe in that case, I should have just go ahead and given my answer to the question. <laughs> I was trying to think. Oh, of- this episode is going swimmingly so far. <laughs> All right. So where's a good cutting point here to cut back in? Okay, I asked the question. Did, did, have we thought of an answer yet? Uh- should I just... I'll, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of throw it back to you. Um, okay. I, I, don't, I don't really know, uh, John. What do you think? Well, I'm wondering. It, it, there's a little bit of a mirroring thing happening here, I think. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit, just with Dallas's face in the, in the shot, it's making me think a little bit about the corridor scene. Where she, where Ripley, an alien, where Ripley is appalled by the fact that um, Dallas is allowing Ash to keep the face hugger on the ship. Mm-hmm. And here we are, pleading again with another man uh, of authority to listen to her, to take into account her experience and understanding of a situation. And again, she's getting shut down. It almost feels like Dallas, I hate to think of it, Dallas is looking behind her back over her shoulder, like, yep, you know. You need to listen, or is does it is it more like yeah he had her back like that was her closest compatriot? I don't know. I think there's got to be something behind it, and I and I wonder we had a little bit of I believe meaning behind Ash being on the screen at the certain point that he was on the screen, and I wonder if we could even go back and take everybody into account and say why was this particular crew member on the screen during this moment in our scene? But I don't know. I got a little something out of that. I think even if it wasn't intentional, it was just something that hit me in this uh, watching this. It's such so closely in this one minute increment. Mm-hmm. Something that really, I guess, stuck out to me and just it actually just made me think of Alien and, and how much I love Alien uh, was the the bit where uh, she said that, you know, Dallas City or, or uh, Kane said he saw thousands of eggs and he's just like thousands of eggs. Like all, and it made me think of that scene where he, where he finds the eggs and there's just eggs everywhere. And I was just thinking about the scope of that scene. Is there anything in aliens that matches that scope? Um, I mean, obviously Cameron has a much different style and has, has different, uh, uh, 
sort of uh, things that he likes as a director. Um, and Ridley is, you know, Ridley Scott, he's all about sort of scope and these large scale things. But I can't think of anything in Aliens that is of that scale, of that shot of the thousand eggs, you know, with the with the fog sort of over them. Or, or you know, the dozen or you know dozens of of other like big huge ridley scott shots in alien um and i can't think of i feel like every other scene that i can think of that's like that in this movie they're much smaller scale sort of things which is interesting considering there's only one alien in the first movie and there's lots of them in this one it's just it's I, i think it's an interesting juxtaposition i don't know that one line made me think of all of these things well, it's interesting because scale, if you're just talking about scale, yeah, I don't think there's anything in Aliens that quite matches that wide shot of the egg chamber when Kane first enters it. You do get that moment later in the movie where Ripley comes uh, comes upon the new, you know, the, the mother alien and seeing all the eggs there. Right. If I remember right, the camera pulls back a little bit to show a little bit of scope. But I think Cameron, I don't know, I mean... I not sure if I can think of his entire career right now, like run through everything, but he he's more controlled, like more compact with his epic kind of imagery, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's to me coming in with the loader, you know, with the, the backlit Ripley inside the loader coming mm-hmm. right up to the frame, uh, right up to the camera into a close up. That's very epic, but it's not big scale like you're talking about. Right. So you might be onto something there. That's something we should keep an eye out on, uh, for for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think it speaks kind of to the difference in tone between Alien and Aliens as well. I mean, as much as Alien is sort of this horror haunted house movie, Aliens is more of a war movie in a way and more action based and people based and, you know, frantic action scenes going on. And it just I think the scale difference is probably intentional in that way, um, just mm-hmm. to more of what. James Cameron was doing well it's alien you know I have to do my obligatory Star Trek correlation here but in alien they're a little bit more of explorers in the sense of at least Kane is Uh, everybody else is just truckers in space but Kane has that exploratory like craving right Mm -hmm. as soon as he gets a chance to go out he wants to go as soon as he sees something new to discover he goes at it face first uh, and uh, (laughs) he we're going to want a larger scale when we're when we're framing that guy within uh, this shot of a discovery like the like the egg chamber. It should be awe inspiring. Right. But what we're dealing with in aliens are very myopic people. These people, they just want to know where they are. That's like a tick literal line. Right. They don't want to know about what these aliens are capable of. They don't want to learn anything from them. They don't want to see anything new. They just want to kill them. So why have the why have the big scope that it wouldn't really fit how the audience is supposed to see the film? I think we're supposed to be seeing it through the eyes. Literally, we see it through the eyes of the Marines through half the movie with these POV cameras. So I think it is. It's supposed to be straightforward, uh, and that would be one way of putting the juxtaposition between the two movies. And you're right, Lindsay. The other one is more – it's a bigger scale, and it, it's a horror movie. But it's got to move its way down. It's got to kind of funnel its way down into the claustrophobic as opposed to – um, here we just kind of jump right into closed spaces and we're always there. We've already had that arc, I guess, right. in Alien. But yeah, in, in Alien, it should feel like big discovery, the massive ship, and then we slowly funnel down to a woman in a life raft with an alien. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this uh, this scene, this is one of those scenes that uh, I I always get 
really frustrated with in movies, not to say that I'm not supposed to feel frustrated because, you know, you're always supposed to feel frustrated in scenes like this. But the I'm not crazy problem, uh, which is that if you say I'm not crazy, it just makes you sound more crazy. (laughs) And and it just it just keeps cycling until you're eventually locked in an insane asylum. Um, And that's that's definitely the direction this is going. And uh, it's. It's an interesting scene because, you know, and, and it's, a, it's equally frustrating because, you know, we, we know as the audience, we know that she's telling the truth because we were there with her. Uh, you know, we, we, the audience, we were the other survivor in that uh, scenario of the first film. And so we feel like really frustrated. We want her to be able to like break through to them and get them to, to, you know, understand and believe her. Um, but you know, there's also that part of us that are like, well, it does sound pretty crazy. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. I think it's a, it's an interesting balancing act for James Cameron as a screenwriter, um, to both have us be on Ripley's side, but also understand the other perspective of how crazy it sounds. Yeah. Also, just speaking as a woman who's worked in sort of office settings before, um, it's amazing how much this scene resonates for me. Obviously, I've never, like, had to convince people that aliens exist, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that just that feeling of, like, this sort of hysterical female, like, they're they're building you up to explode this way, and then they just kind of are looking on at you like you're crazy. That's, I think, something that happens with women feeling frustrated in workplaces a lot. So that really stuck out to me as well. Yeah, I was, I was going to bring that uh, very topic up because there's two things that happen here. Uh, well, three things if you want to talk about what doesn't happen here. Uh, Lindsay reminded us that there was a moment uh, cut from this, from the theatrical cut in the director's, that's in the director's cut, where Van Leeuwen here literally tells her she needs psych evaluation, right? Mm-hmm. But the sense I get from him in the way that he's so, he just cuts her right off. She, he's had enough. He's heard enough. That'll be all. He repeats it again. He doesn't even give her the service of explaining why that'll be all. And it reminds me, it, it has that feeling of the guy who tells the woman, ah, you're crazy. And and just sort of like, you're a psycho. And that kind of dismissiveness is just cringeworthy to me. And it's perfectly present in the way he dismisses her. We didn't need a moment where he talks about psych evaluations and so on, I don't think. But the other thing that's interesting that's happening here is that our uh, our female insurance adjuster person is really appalled and shocked at Ripley's behavior here, right? Yeah. Like, she is leaning back into our sleeping friend behind her, just <laughs> mouth agape. Can't believe that she's acting this way. Now, do we think that there's something to read into that? Or 57 years after the, the events of Alien, do women not ever raise their voices anymore? Does Is there no emotion anymore? I mean, everybody else seems pretty calm. I don't know. It's kind of a, a funny thing to read into this whole moment. But there's a lot um, going back to what you said, Scott, where we can kind of see from their point of view. I cringe at the guy dismissing her so harshly. I kind of feel for the woman who can't believe that this, that this crazy uh, 80-something-year-old lady is screaming at the top of her lungs in a small room. So I think that's part of what makes you also kind of see it both ways. Um, I think, too, yeah, that is something. It goes back to in the last minute when Ripley has that line about, like, did IQs just, like, sharply drop while I was away? And you do wonder what 
how much has changed in those almost 60 years. And maybe it is, a, maybe gender has sort of become this more neutralized thing in workplaces. And yeah, she does just look like this crazy person because all women have become more manly. <laughs> I hope that's yeah. not the case, but <laughs> you wonder. I think another, there's another way of looking at that line. I'm glad you brought that up because we kind of forgot to mention it in the last minute. Um, we totally forgot to mention it in the last minute. I do think IQs have dropped sharply. I actually think she's saying something prescient here, and we see it, don't we? I mean, how many high IQs do we see in the rest of the movie? I'm going to say very few. Yeah. I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of smart mm-hmm. uh, behavior from here on out, uh, except for Hicks Hicks and Ripley are about the only two people I would say have good high IQ you know, intelligence quotients. But I think what we have here is maybe more of a suggestion of a technological advancement versus mental acuity, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's that's just like the classic technological quandary is the more we become dependent on, on increases in technology, uh, the less intelligent we may become. And I think, you know, I, I'll give James Cameron enough credit to say that maybe he was thinking about that here uh, when he wrote that line in particular because it makes perfect sense. And it was also pretty present in – a lot of writing in the 70s and 80s and, you know, Philip K. Dick kind of worlds that were created in fiction and even in theoretical writing. So I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he knew about that uh, theory. But uh, that's good that you brought that up because I did want to talk about that in particular. And, and that, again, will probably be something we talk about more and more as the season goes on. Well, and I think I think Bishop is proof of that, right? Because he's the most other than Ripley, he's the most intelligent person in any room, in any scene in this movie, and uh, he's a robot. I mean, you know, yeah. like he he's he is literally technology, um, and he's so much smarter than everyone else. You know, to the point where you have that scene with the knife, and it's almost like he's trolling these dumb humans uh, <laughs> at, at a certain to a certain extent. Yeah, and he's you know not only is he intelligent, but he's composed, obviously. Right. He's not, he doesn't have that human failing of emotion, but um, I mean, you could say he's you know he's the Spock, right? With the mm-hmm. the sort of logic dependent, intelligent, calm person, so to speak. But in this particular case, he is he does represent technology. And in the la- in Alien, we had technology as horror, right? We had the the greatest feat of technology uh, would have to be that we see an Alien in the world that Alien gives us is ash and he's a whore he's a monster he's just as much of a monster as the alien is mm-hmm. that's a little bit more 70s right uh i think yeah. seeing having the fear of the technology that was when these writings were coming out talking about oh are, are, is technology going to overtake us and that sort of panic where in the 80s they were a little bit more optimistic about that and i guess we're getting way ahead of ourselves talking about bishop who we haven't even met yet but that's what's going on. I think that we have this optimistic, almost more Roddenberryan look at, at technology with Bishop being a good guy, being the guy, kind of the hero, right? I guess he's the hero in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, Ripley's the hero, but he really comes through in the end. But again, mm-hmm. man, wow, we're really getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. All right. Well, do you guys have anything else? No, no. Just the, the scene, I guess, ends, the minute ends with, them saying basically that there's been people on LV-426 for, what, 20 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which kind of sets us up for the next the next minute. <laughs> it actually, um, that actually ha- made me think about sort of the uh, the history of, of 
um, the, I don't know, universe, I guess, at this point. Because um, it's not, I guess it's not just Earth. But uh, the, the, the fact that she's been gone for, you know, roughly 60 years, I'm rounding up. Um, and they have been on LB426 for 20 years. Uh, so is the, is the process that's been going on, were they, um, the, the, you know, our, our space truckers and alien, were they going around basically like scouting locations for what would be, uh, places like LB426 where they're going to be having colonists and things like that? Is that, is is that like the Nostromo crew or just in general? Yeah, yeah. I'm well. May, maybe particularly the Nostromo crew, but just the fact that, like, you know, it's it's been about sixty years, and about forty years before they set out colonists on LB four two six, you had the Nostromo going out and and you know finding this planet that no one has ever been to before, um, or no humans had ever been to before. So was that part of what, you know, mother and Ash and like, is that what all of that was about? Is that what their goal was, was to go out and find planets that they could colonize later? Uh, It could be, it could be that that was a sort of a side goal that Mm -hmm. mother and Ash would have and that the company would have. I mean, they're looking to expand their horizons. It would certainly probably be cheaper to have miners on the planet, you know, uh, living there, families and so on would probably be, uh, you know, whatever it is that they need to do. They're carrying some kind of ore, right, uh, in the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would make sense that they came from a place that might be somewhat colonized already. And if you can terraform it, all the better. People can right. actually live there and be comfortable and want to move there. You know, that would be all the better. So I'm sure that's something they have going on in the back burner, at least. I want to say, though, the Nostromo crew... I, I like to be as minimalist with that movie as possible. I want to say that all they were doing was bringing ore back and forth. Those people had no intentions other than getting their bonuses and their shares, and that's that. But mm-hmm. uh, you're right. I mean, the whole idea, though, is that Ash and Mother have other plans going on. And in that particular case, it ended up getting everybody killed. Right. All right. Well, if that's all, uh, I guess we'll move on to minute number 13. You can find us at AlienMinute.com. Follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod or Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Uh, come over to iTunes. Give us a review there. We also have a tea Public store with some interesting designs if you ever want to get a T-shirt or a sticker or a bag or whatever it is that they sell over there. Um, also, we have a virtual tip jar on our website if you ever want to drop a buck or two in there. That would be very helpful to keep up expenses and so on. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow for minute number 13.